Amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and let's go to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. And uh, we are right at the tail end of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, the verses that I would really like us to pay attention to this morning are the last two verses, but then we'll get the context and, and that. So let's just read uh, verses 28 and 29, and then we'll go back and read the whole thing again. It says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now let's go back to verse 24 and pick up the immediate context. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man that built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Now, the Sermon on the Mount is uh, without question, without equal, without parallel, the greatest message that was ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever lived. Uh, if you're going to sit there and question that, then, then you've got bigger problems than you could begin to imagine. And uh, if you would take time to just read through Matthew 5, 6, and 7, may take you... Uh, 20, 30 minutes, 40 minutes if you're uh, a fairly slow reader. And that was the sermon. Now, here in our church, we went through the Sermon on the Mount, verse by verse, phrase by phrase, and spent some time going over all of these things. And it took us about 18 months to get through those three chapters on... uh, uh, I believe it was a combination of Sunday nights and, and Thursday nights in order. And um, because everything you need to know about the Christian life is in the Sermon on the Mount. And as Jesus was ending the story, he told this little tale, used this parable, we might say, uh, of the wise man and the foolish man. Now, maybe we need to get this added to our Sunday school repertoire. I don't know. I, I, I like the song, The wise man built his house upon the rock. I, I just like that song. And, and the rains came down and the floods came up and, and the house on the rock stood firm. Amen. And Jesus said, listen, if you will hear what I'm preaching and obey and do what I'm preaching. You're going to be like this wise man that built his house 
upon a rock, and the rains descended, and the floods came, and the wind blew. It said, yes. And they beat upon that house, and it fell not. It said, but if you'll hear my sayings and not do them. Now, you'll notice that Jesus started out with the same thing. You know why? Well, because whoever was there heard what he said. Now, we have some people that uh, are hearing impaired, deaf with us today. But guess what? They're hearing with their eyes. You see, they're still understanding the words. There is communication happening. Uh, A person who is blind may be able to hear, but if they're going to read, they have to read with their fingers. And they still get those words. And so Jesus is saying, listen, you've all heard. You've got the message. If you take the message and do it, you're the wise man. If you take the message and don't do it, you're the foolish man that built his house on the sand. And the rains came, and the floods came, and the wind blew, and it beat upon that house. And it says, and great was the fall of it. And what that's simply saying was, the destruction of the house was complete. It was great destruction. There was nothing left. And the people were astonished. They were shocked. They had not heard a preacher preach like that. Uh, There were every city of any size in the land of Israel had a synagogue. And in that synagogue for centuries, for centuries, they would have parts of God's uh, law copied out by hand. And uh, a, a sizable synagogue may ha- would have had what we would call the entire Old Testament there. And they would read through those. And uh, they had so much time over uh, this 400-year period from Malachi, the last prophet, until John the Baptist in the time of Jesus Christ, that they had written a commentary on the entire Bible. And this was not just a regular commentary. On my computer, I have probably somewhere around uh, uh, three or 4,000 volumes of books, most of them commentaries written about the Bible. But the commentary that, that uh, the people in the synagogue would have had access to was the compilation of the greatest scholarship of the Jewish people for the last 600 years. I mean, I don't have anything like that. Not compiled into one book or one set of books. I have to look over here and and, uh, weed through all the garbage that's in this commentary to get the good parts out and Even the Calvinists aren't wrong about everything, just most everything. And and, uh, 
so we we look through this, and then I go over here and read this, and go over here and read that. No, they had the best all assimilated and put together. And when the scribes taught, they taught from the commentaries. Say, so, well, why would they do that? Well, it's very simple. The Jewish people studied the Scriptures. Everybody knew the Bible. And so, what you had to do is, if you were going to really teach anything, you had to get somebody else's ideas. And so, they actually had these debating societies where they would sit and they would think about all the great things that everybody said about the Bible. And and as Jesus taught, the people were going, wow! This is amazing. I've never heard anything like this before. It says they were astonished at his doctrine. Now, I did not look through the yellow pages. I don't think uh, yellow pages is the place of advertising anymore. And really not going to waste my time going through websites. But you can find churches who will advertise themselves as churches that have no doctrine. That's like going to a refrigerator store that has no refrigerators. We're going to go to a car lot, but what we're looking for is end tables. Uh, Doctrine is what we believe. When a church says, we have no doctrine, they say, we are a church that assembles to worship God, but we have nothing that we believe. Now, if you are a student of history at all, do you know that churches fought wars with other churches? That religions fight wars with other religions in India today. The Muslims and the Hindus and the Buddhists are all fighting each other at different places. And um, I met a missionary to Sri Lanka years ago and he said, Brother Montoya, I want you to come to Sri Lanka. He said, I need somebody. He says, here's what we do. Is He said, we drive through certain really heavy Buddhist areas and we throw out bundles of tracks. And when we do, people realize what they're doing and they try to push us off the side of the road and try to wreck us. And I, I need somebody who can drive me and not be afraid and, and drive through all of the obstacles there. And, and he said, I, I think you're the man. I said, brother, I've got a couple guys in my church that do that job right for you. A couple ladies, too, if the truth were known, but we're not going to go there today. Religions fight each other. They kill each other. Over what? Doctrine. Isn't that right? And there's one prayer that I've prayed for Open Door Bible Baptist Church long before there was an Open Door Bible Baptist Church that our church would be about doctrine. 
that what goes on here would be defined by doctrine and that the people that come to this church and attend this church would understand not only what they believe, but why they believe what they believe. And it all goes back to this verse, these verses right here. See, the easiest thing in the world today is to take the path of least resistance and not teach doctrine and make everybody welcome and we'll all just get along together. But I want to challenge you. How many of you have had friends that really didn't care about anything going on in your life. And if you were really honest, you really didn't care about much what was going on in their life, but you had a good time together, and so you were friends. Somebody said, no, nah, I never had any friends like that. Most, most of us had at one time or another, but we didn't depend on them for things. They were just acquaintances. We knew them, we would get together. But how many of you had a friend... That you agreed on just about everything. I mean, uh, oh, I guess ladies would get this. Uh, they're kindred spirits. All the guys are going, gag! But you see, a real friend. A person that you can depend on is somebody that your relationship goes just a little deeper than having a nice time together. You can actually get counsel from that person because you know that while they may not have their eyes uh, smeared with the the power of emotions that you're facing in your life at this point, they still believe what you believe, and and they'll give you some direction that will help you through this time when just because of circumstance of life, you can't see as clearly as you should. Everybody would like a friend like that, would they not? And and those that study these things and really know these things said, if, if you have one such friend... You're a very fortunate person. To have four or five such friends would make you exceptional. But in the Lord Jesus Christ, let me tell you, you can have many such friends. Because it's not just a shared set of beliefs or convictions or preferences, or all different words that people use. It's doctrine. I just want to say thank you to the church for letting me attend the fellowship meetings that I go to as a pastor. I need those fellowship meetings. Guess what? I try to take other pastors with me to those fellowship meetings and encourage others to go. I'll tell you, we had some good fellowship in the car 
driving this week. And it, it is a, a good thing. I took Philip with me. You know what? Philip needs to learn that those friends out there are the right kind of friends to have and get some direction. And, and he got to sit beside Grandpa Clayton during one of the services. And, and uh, those were just some special things that happened. Now, I can't do that every time. But let me tell you something. We as pastors, and the reason I'm a part of this fellowship, is we don't get together because they're nice guys. We get together because we agree on doctrine. And we try to encourage each other in doctrine. And if there's something that is missing today in mainstream Christianity, guess what? It is doctrine. We talk about pious platitudes and we talk about God is good uh, and God is holy and, and all of these things. But where is the practical day-by-day life application of these truths? That is doctrine, my friend. It's what you do. And Jesus, the people were saying, wow. You know what? Jesus' doctrine just made sense. Later on, if you have time to read Matthew 23, 24, 25, Jesus was explaining some of the doctrines of the Pharisees. You see, they say... The Pharisees had all these rules and regulations. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says, Thou shalt not bear false witness. Now, you know what that means? You should not carry anything that is untrue. How many of you ever told a lie without opening your mouth? Everybody's hand ought to be up because you've done it. Isn't that true? You, you, you were a bearer of false witness. Sometimes just an expression on your faith, face. Every once in a while my kids will sit there and they'll just look around. And, and uh, if I'm really alert, I usually catch it. Sometimes I'll miss it. And... I'll blame the wrong child for the uh, issue at hand. Well, then, when that happens, then we go back to the others who pass the blame along and make sure that they get their share of what's going on simply because they actually bore false witness in passing the blame along to someone that didn't deserve it all. I mean, it's a blessing when I say, well, Dad, we, we were all there and somebody will fess up to it. And then I say, you know what? That, I, what I'm looking for is truth. Amen. Let, let's deal with the situation. But if I got to examine and cross-examine each one of you, I don't like being a lawyer. I like being dad. Now, the people were astonished at Jesus' doctrine. The scribes and the Pharisees had said things like this. 
if you swear by the temple, you're not a debtor. Now, what that meant was, if you swore by the temple in Jerusalem, you didn't have to keep your word. But if you swore by the gold in the temple, then you're a debtor. So, here we have your used donkey salesman. I certify that this donkey was only used on Sabbath to go from uh, to synagogue and back and low mileage and well-fed and not disease. I mean, this is the best buy for your money. And you bought the donkey, went home, and it died. And then you come back and said, listen, you, you bore false witness. You told me that this was good, and it's not. He said, I swear by the temple in Jerusalem that everything I told you was the truth. What are you going to say to a Jew who swears by the temple in Jerusalem? Wow, he must have just been one misguided guy. Boy, I sure got taken advantage of here by whoever sold him that donkey. Liar, cheat, thief. It was a habit of the Romans, once they got a hold of this thing, would uh, pin them to the wall and say, listen, swear by the gold in the temple. They, they figured it out. They knew who they were dealing with. Here's what Jesus said. He said, the commandment says, thou shalt not kill. I'm telling you not to hate. Now, is there anybody here that doesn't understand that? Has a problem with grasping that truth? That if you're going to not kill someone, not commit murder, the best place to start is by not hating someone else in your heart. Could we say amen to that? How how simple is that? How strong is that statement And what did Jesus use as the authority? We're going to get that in a minute. He said, they said in an old time, talking about Moses and the law, he says, but I say unto you. Jesus told them to love their enemies. To be different than just the people uh, that they meet every day. You know, the key to living in this world is not being the smartest or the best worldling. The key to living in this world today is the doctrine that Jesus taught. Could we say amen to that? That, That's what Jesus was teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. And they were astonished at his doctrine You read the Sermon on the Mount. And what does every verse and every phrase do? It points your heart toward God, does it not? Blessed are the poor in spirit. That's not an accomplishment. That's an admission. Blessed are they that mourn. Uh, That's not something you're working for. 
That's not something you control. I mean, there are people who, who try to work on their emotions and, and, and gin up all of this things so they can say, Oh, I'm so sorry for my sin. Now God bless me for being mournful. It doesn't work that way. You want, nobody has to encourage you to mourn if it's true mourning. It just happens. You can't stop it. It's 11.55. How many of you are ready for lunch? You know what? I've never had to instruct a child on how to be hungry. Even the littlest baby will let its desires be known. And they will cry and they will fuss. And if you don't give them enough, they'll cry and fuss some more until you do. Listen. It says, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness. You can't gin this up. This is not something that you can put in your life. This is something that happens naturally. Do you see how simple Jesus' doctrine is? And yet, it was impossible to comply with everything that is in there. How many of you have wanted something this week that you couldn't have? Yeah, Stephen raised his hand. Yes, the new iPhone came out. He's not getting one. But... How many of you wanted something? Can you imagine sitting in line for 20 days just to get a stupid phone? All I wanted to do is work. But people get so enamored with that. Do I want one? Well, I'm not going to tell you I don't. i got to work on that. But... And by the way, the contract's up, so I have to get a new phone sooner or later. But, you know, the simple truth is, you can't stop yourself. You have to fight against it. And we fail. You know, some people, it's cars. Some people, it's just peace of mind they're searching for. They're never going to find it outside the Lord Jesus Christ. Never going to find it until they're willing to lay down everything they have at the foot of the cross and leave it there. Some people, it's money, power, the pleasures of this life. You know what? You match yourself up to the Sermon on the Mount and you're going to find failure at every point. Isn't that right? But how many of you have ever gotten depressed reading the Sermon on the Mount? Anybody here? I never do. Every time I read it, I get encouraged. 
You see, because my hope, if I read Sermon on the Mount, my hope is not in me and what I can do. I am directed to the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of heaven, and my hope is in Him and my direction is in Him. It says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It tells me not to judge other people. Let Jesus do the judging, to judge myself. It tells me about the straight gate and the narrow way. And when we get to the end, Jesus gives this story about the wise man and the foolish man. Now, I want you to understand something. They were astonished at his doctrine. At what he taught. It made sense. It was so simple. It was one of those things that they said, well, I understand what you're saying, but that's not really new. Well, if it's new, it's not Bible. And if it's Bible, it's not new. Amen? Uh, This was true in Jesus' day. There was nothing He wasn't giving them. Did the Old Testament law not say, love thy neighbor as thyself? Yeah, it is. But was anybody in that synagogue trying to do that? Absolutely not. Was Jesus explaining how to do that in the Sermon on the Mount? He most certainly was. But then it goes on and says, For he taught them as one having authority. Now, if you really want to get people's ire up today, men, be a man. You will have the condemnation of every person in any kind of authority today. You want to know why our government has so much problems? There are no men. You want to comment on the Sunday school lesson this morning? What was so tragic about the life of Jephthah? was he was a man that was totally unqualified and unprepared for leadership. And Jephthah would have made a great captain of a smaller band in the army. He would have been one of those uh, Delta Force guys to take the team of commandos in and get the job done. But he didn't have enough character to lead the whole army. He wasn't prepared. He wasn't born with it. And the leadership destroyed him and his family. He broke under that pressure. You see, we have a lot of male gender human beings running around. But if you really want to get up somebody upset, be a man. Now... We're not talking about abuse of any kind. That's not a man. Only cowards abuse. But Jesus taught them with authority. You know what that meant? He said, listen, if you hear my words, which you just did, that's what he's saying, and you do them, I want you to understand something. You're like a wise man that built his house upon a rock. 
But if you're standing there and you're listening to my words and you don't do them, you refuse to obey me, I am explaining to you that you're a foolish man that built your house on the sand and it's going to be destroyed. Could you get any more dogmatic than that? Anybody here like to attempt? Not me. I'll I'll stick with what Jesus did. I mean, you see, he said there's only two options. One is wisdom. The other is foolishness. One is security. The other is destruction. Now, let's talk about the houses a little bit. I'll tell you, I, I, I am not a contractor by any measure of the, uh, uh, of the word, but I do know a little bit about buildings and fixing them and all of those kinds of things. I, I'll tell you this, nobody builds a house without great effort and time. Now, um, the Amish people have something called a barn raising, where they'll build a barn in a day. It's an amazing thing. The women will be up long before the sun comes up fixing food and preparing things for the day. And the men will show up and everybody's got a job. But you might have a hundred men working in perfect uh, integration of jobs. And, of course, they're not running plumbing. They're not pouring concrete. They're not doing a lot of those things that take time. Uh, what they're doing is they're setting up wood beams. They're, they're putting them together. They're putting roofing on that thing. And they'll build the house in a day. But let me tell you something. That day may be 16 or 18 hours But let's multiply that by the hundred men that are there, let's say. Now, all of a sudden, we have 1,600 hours. Do you get that? Yeah, it was built in a day. But it was 1,600 man hours that put it up. That puts things in perspective. I don't care if you're here today building your house on the sand. You're not going to get it done in one day. It's going to take time. It's going to take effort. And it's going to take a lot of money. Building is not cheap. I mean, buying two by fours... And nails or screws isn't very expensive. Uh, But when you buy the screw gun that puts them together, now you're talking some money. Uh, When you buy the insulation and the sheetrock and the uh, outer boarding and the Tyvek and the vapor barrier and and the windows and the doors and the siding and, and, and all, now you got lots and lots of money. And it cost the same amount of money to build the house on the rock as it did on the sand. When you're just talking about supplies. Now, the guy that's building this house on the rock's got a few extra things to do because he's got to attach the house to the rock. 
And so he's going to have some anchors and things like that uh, to make sure that the house is attached to the rock. But it basically we're talking about the same amount of effort. Uh, I've heard preachers preach, oh, he just put a shack on the sand. Uh, anybody been out to the Hamptons? Are those just shacks on the sand out there? Uh, not quite. Uh, I've been down to the Florida Keys years ago traveling with Brother Clayton, and, and, and I'll tell you what, uh, those aren't just little shacks on the leeward side of the island. I mean, there's some beautiful, beautiful homes. And they, they build them up on stilts. So that when the hurricane comes through, it just washes out the whole first floor. And then they come and they put it back. Uh, it's an amazing thing, but the houses were built. But you see, the house on the rock, it didn't say the houses, the house on the rocks. You see, if it said the house on the rocks, then there would be a bunch of small rocks that the house was built over top of. But it said the house on the rock, meaning that this guy found one rock that was bigger than his proposed house. Could we just put that in a modern application? His life, we know the house is talking about lives, was attached to something that was bigger than he was. Amen? How many of you, that's shocking? You never thought about that before. You say, well, Pastor, that just makes sense. Yeah. If you're not attached to something a little bigger than you are, guess what? You're going to get moved. Uh, that's why doctrine is so important. By the way, the kind of music that you allow in your church service is doctrine. The clothes that you wear is doctrine. It ought to be a reflection of who and what you are. I mean, I've used the example. If you came in uh, to church and I was hiding in my office... And you saw one of them motorcycle helmets with the big spike on top sitting on the side of the pulpit. You'd be saying, who put that filthy thing there? And I came out with a chain wrapped around my waist and spikes all over the place. And, and just for good measure, I pinned one of them ponytails there and it just came the whole way down. And uh, had a Harley Davidson shirt on, and and uh, what would you think about me? So, pastor needs to get his meds checked, or he needs to get some. Why would would just putting on those clothes change who I am? Some people really have in the time picturing this in their mind. Don't let the illustration distract you from the truth. We, we judge people by what we see because that's the only way we can judge people. 
Now, I've said this many times. Don't let your clothes stop you from coming to church. Never. But when I show up at church, I wear the best thing I have. Because I want that to be a reflection of my attitude toward the Lord Jesus Christ. I had a preacher once told me. He said, my people get dressed up all week to go to their high, press, high, high pressure jobs and, and, and all of this. They just need to relax on the weekend. You know, I wanted to tell them. So that means that their high pressure jobs are more worthy of their attention than their worship of God. Because that's what he was saying. You see, that's doctrine. That, that's being attached to something that's a little bigger than you are because it determines what you do. You see, the foolish man was the one that heard everything that Jesus said and said, you know, that's incredible teaching. I am astonished at his doctrine. I've never heard anything like this before. But you know, I I don't think we need to be so dogmatic about some of these things as he is. You know, we don't have to fight everybody. I'm in total agreement. In fact, we fight about very, very little in this church. Because it's not up for debate. We've had, I had one guy come and he says, you put too much emphasis on the Bible. I'm leaving. I said, you know what? You just gave me a very great reason. That is the best reason I've ever heard of leaving this church. Because we're not changing. And if that's where you are, you must be miserable. And he looked at me like, how did you figure that out? I'm sitting here going, if you don't like the Bible, you're not going to like what goes on around here. But we're not changing. Because we have doctrine. And we're attached to it. And, And we believe that if you choose to disobey the doctrine that's in this book, God is not the one that's going to suffer. You are. That's what Jesus said, is it not? And you know, things look great on the outside. But they're often falling apart on the inside. Isn't that true? You see, let me tell you something. Before the outside walls of this house that was built on the sand fell in and the construction was complete, there's an awful lot happening inside that house as the winds beat and the walls begin to move. Well, guess what's the first thing that happens? All the inside walls break up. You see, it's a perfect illustration of what happens to a person who's not attached to something bigger than they are. I mean, if we wanted to, you could apply this to the history of our country. Uh, The outside walls haven't fallen down yet. 
But it sure is getting close to the point to where it's hard to live in the house. Because things are falling apart. I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom. I'm just trying to give an honest evaluation. And you say, well, what do we do? Well, if you're going to save it, you've got to get it attached to something bigger than it is. Otherwise, it's going to move. You've got to get your life attached to the Lord Jesus Christ or it's, it's going to move. I've known preachers that have, they, they were men that I looked up to and respected and, and, and listened to at one time. And now they're showing up church in turtlenecks and t-shirts and all of this kind of stuff with a rock band behind them. And, and well, we're reaching people. Uh, I don't think you're reaching people. I think the world has reached you, my friend. Because those ideas weren't in the Bible. They were in the world. It's kind of backwards now, isn't it? You see, Jesus taught them doctrine as one having authority. But I want you to understand something. There was not a, b, C, D, all of the above, none of the above, some of the above, only certain ones of the above, A and B. I'll tell you what, I hate multiple choice tests, don't you? Life is not a multiple choice test. Jesus said, listen, there's only two options. One is obedience, the other is disobedience. One is security, the other is destruction. And you cannot choose anything else. That was authority. Amen? He was saying, that is the end of the conversation. We're not going anywhere else because there's no other place to go. Then that last little phrase, and we won't spend a lot of time on this, not as the scribes. Because we've pretty much described the scribes. They were educated. Let me tell you something, those scribes could quote the Bible better than all of us put together in this building, one of them. They knew the scriptures. So do the cultists, by the way. See, knowing how to quote Bible verses doesn't prove anything. Because Jesus said, both the wise man and the foolish man heard his words. Uh, the issue was in what they did. Amen? You see, mankind will always find a way out. You know, that's one of the things about all the laws in New York City. I mean, right now, they're, they're going through the law books. At least I hope they are to figure out what in the world they can do with this bicycle rider who was going 36 miles an hour in a pedestrian lane and killed a woman this week. How many of you heard that story on the radio in Central Park? It's a, it's a tragic. But you know what? 
the byline of the story when I heard it reported on the radio was, no charges have been filed, the police are investigating. You know what that simply saying is? With all the laws and all the rules that we have in New York City, they don't have anything that they can pin this guy with. You know why? Because of lawyers. Because of the deceitful heart of men, because there's a way to get out of everything. Talk to O.J. Simpson. But did he get away with it? Not really. You see, God doesn't let you get away with anything. But everybody finds a way to get out of it. I mean, how many of you have ever done this? You get your hide nailed to the wall. You did this wrong. What is the first word out of your mouth? But. I did it wrong, but officer, you don't understand. Uh, my, my, my wife is having a baby and, and I'm trying to drive her home so she can have the baby. That'll get you a great big ticket. Well, we have home births, so that's where we would be going. But, you know, everybody has an excuse. They say the number one excuse at school is my dog ate my homework. Now, I've not had a dog in years. But when I was a kid, we always had at least one around the house. And dogs eat a lot of stuff. But I've never met a dog that ate paper. They eat all kinds of other things. We won't go there today, but the simple truth of the matter is, we are in the excuse-making business. That's what the scribes and the Pharisees were all about. There's always a reason. I lost my temper, but you don't understand what they did. Well, wait, wait a minute. That's the scribes. You see, they had an excuse for everything. Do you remember the story about the seven brothers all married to the same wife? And none of them had any children? Do you understand that they had arguments For husbands, one, two, three, four, five, six, and seven. If Jesus had engaged them in the debate that they had hoped to engage Jesus in, they would have tied him up all day discussing all of the ins and outs. And when it was all said and done, the final answer would have been, well, I guess we can never know. So you really don't know as much as you think you do, Jesus. Have you ever met anybody like that? How many of you have ever taken a philosophy class in college? If you have, you met somebody like that, because that's what they teach. You can't really know anything for sure, even after it happens. 
I mean, I'd like to get a hold of one of them professors. Uh, they'll tell you that just because you take your hand and ball it up in a fist and hit me in the nose and I have blood streaming down my face doesn't mean that the impact of your fist on my nose uh, has caused the blood to flow. Uh, they'll actually say that in a classroom. But I've never met one of them that wanted to experiment and make sure. I, I'd be happy to help them. Because it only take one good little pop for them to figure out that there really was a connection. And we laugh. But some of you paid thousands of dollars to sit in a class with one of those idiots. And it affected you whether you believe it or not. You see, that philosophy wasn't new in Jesus' day either. And the scribes had imbibed an awful lot of it. And it's everywhere in our society, and I could take hours and give you example after example. But you see... They were astonished at Jesus' doctrine because it was simple. If you went home after hearing the Sermon on the Mount, hating someone, guess what you knew? You were lining up with the foolish man. Hello? If you went home after hearing the Sermon on the Mount, thinking that somehow God should be pleased with the things that you have done, if you were honest with yourself, you had to know something. You were lining up with the foolish man. Because Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit. Those that have nothing and have no way of getting anything. That's what the word poor means, doesn't it? You see, if you went away from the Sermon on the Mount, not believing that Jesus Christ had the authority to speak as God, you were lining up with the foolish man. Jesus put it this way a little later in the book of Matthew. He said, What shall profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Uh, let me tell you something. Unless you're attached, something a little bigger than you. And by the way, who is the rock? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. I met a lot of preachers that say, Well, it's the confession. No, it's not the confession, it's the person. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the rock. And we've got to be attached to Him. And how do I get attached to Him? He said, if you love me, what? Keep my commandments. You see, Jesus taught him doctrine. He taught him with authority. Because he knew one thing. If you didn't do what he said, you were going to be destroyed. 
And that destruction was going to be great because you're going to end up in a lake of fire for all eternity. But you know what? A Christian can destroy parts of their life as well. Partial obedience is disobedience, is it not? Hello? How many of you have ever been rewarded for a job half done? I mean, sometimes they'll put little perks on the way and say, if you can get so much completed by such and such a day, we'll, we'll help you here. But if you miss that, you didn't get it now, did you? Now, listen. And it came to pass, when Jesus had ended these things, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. Where are we? Where are you? You say, Pastor, I hate sermons like this because I can never match up. Uh, I'll never get to a point to where I really do. Uh, uh, That's the first step. Let's go back to the first verse. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Until we realize that, we'll never get anywhere else. Hello? But we all know things. I'm not going to walk to your house and check your cable bill and your internet history and, and, and your magazine subscriptions and, and, and your cell phone usage. I, I'm not going to. That's not my job as a pastor. That's the Holy Spirit of God's job and your responsibility as a believer. And if we're going to keep or do or obey His sayings, those are some things that we're going to have to do. And every time we do something right, we're driving another anchor into the rock. Amen? And every time we ignore something... We're pulling one out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. I ask you that the Holy Spirit would have freedom to walk down this aisle. To step into the pews and to put that unseen finger upon the hearts of people here today. Lord, that we would not be concerned with what other people have done. But we would be concerned with what's going on in our life. Lord, if there's someone here that's never trusted you as their Savior, 
that they would be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to give them conviction of sin and the knowledge of their need to be saved. Lord, we pray for those that are struggling to serve and it just doesn't seem like things are happening the way they should. Lord, we pray that they'd be willing to just face up to it Start driving some anchors into the rock. Lord, we just ask that you'd be honored and glorified in this time of invitation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's just.